Fuck pain. Fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. Tonight, it's interview time again, as author, inventor, and world record holder Chris Duffin joins us to talk about his wild and inspiring new book, The Eagle and the Dragon. And man, does he have stories to tell. From growing up in rural Northern California, dealing with everything from rattlesnakes to serial killers, it's just the beginning of his incredible journey towards letting us all know, whatever has happened to you, it is not who you are. Here we go. And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli as we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Dows Podcast, begins now. Welcome back, everybody, to another fine episode of the Drunken Dows Podcast, episode 171. It's uh, after the rain, the sun has come out in Southern California, everything's dark and, 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 and moist, and just something we don't really see that often, and I think it's got everybody in a pleasant mood. Of course it has my pal Daniele Bellelli in a pleasant mood, because yeah. he knows it makes the flowers grow. Yes, we shall see about that. But um, <laughs> let's do a quick shout out to some of the sweet folks that keep us in business. So for the sake, we have, you have heard us uh, waxing poetically about Blue True for a while now. That's true. Um, for the sake, I think this is the last one of the year. I don't know if they will renew or not, but we love them forever regardless, because of beautiful things they have done to our personal lives. I'm having to deliver by the truckload now, yes, just in case. Exactly. <laughs> so for the sake of uh, giving them a proper one, we'll stick to a script today. So let me read up Here we go. about the joys of Blue Chew. This episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approving active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. Blue Chew is prescribed online by licensed physicians, so you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door in a discreet package. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code DRUNK. Just pay $5 for shipping against that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com promo code DRUNK to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Sweet. Of course, shout out also to the other nice people. Onnit.com, we've been consuming, I've definitely been consuming Alpha Brain by in industrial amounts, so that's, uh, I dig it. It keeps me functional at least, which is a good start. Check out onnit.com. Um, there's a link in the episode notes. I believe it's onnit.com forward slash Taoist, if I recall correctly, for an automatic discount on their products. They are awesome. Check them out. Of course, short design t-shirts with the coolest t-shirts on the planet. I think we are due to get a, a new shipment. So some sizes that were out and all that stuff, they should be coming in. Speaking of which, if you have ordered a t-shirt 
and I reply to you saying, hey, what size do you want? And I never hear back from you and I try again and again, please check your email. And if you ever <laughs> receive a t-shirt, please let me know. That would make things easier. Any word on the new design? Uh, we are not there yet. I'm just, we are restocking all the old ones. But yes, we'll have a super secret ultra if you thought some of the stuff we have done so far was pushing the envelope, this will do push the envelope so much more. Mm. Uh, the degree of sexual explicitness, is that even a word? It is now. It will increase dramatically, mm. uh, proportionate to your consumption of blue chew. All I can say is tasty. Yes. And uh, speaking of tasty, in a different kind of way, I hope, but uh -huh. grasslandbeef.com. Amazing foods that they have there, so check them out, grasslandbeef.com. If you use Amazon, please use our link. Uh, if you shop on Amazon, if you use our link, it helps us out a whole bunch. And don't forget, go to kiva.org. You can get Kiva cards to give to your bratty nephews, nieces, and maybe even your kids to uh, show them the amazing gift-giving capacities to help loan people money they need for stuff they need in situations where uh you know the local loan shark is gonna just peg them against the wall the way the credit card companies do us here in the u.s so check it out your fellow listeners have donated over a hundred and forty thousand dollars not donated have loaned a hundred and forty thousand dollars since we got started this a few years back which just blows me away come on join us join team drunken Taoist, and uh let's make it to a quarter million i think that's it you know usual shout out snow roast coffee if you guys drink coffee Never Top Gear, you have heard about them, check them out, please. And on that note, we shall start this episode. Here we go. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, here we go, rolling with another Drunken Taoist episode. Today, Mr. Chris Duffin joins us. Chris, very welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Looking forward to talking today. Did I vaguely pronounce your name somewhat in the neighborhood of... I screw you... up every English word there is, so it's... <laughs> it was actually pretty good. Okay, yeah. sweet. The... Um... Let's jump. I spent the last few days reading your book, The Eagle and the Dragon, for those of you guys out there who uh, still read books, which is always a good thing. <laughs> Subtitle, A Story of Strength and Reinvention. So you know where we're going to go. Uh, speaking of strength and reinvention, let's jump right in. Well, I guess the title of the book. Uh, tell me about your tattoos, <laughs> The Eagle and the Dragon. Yeah, so I, I have just two tattoos, right? which is a little deceiving because the two tattoos basically cover my entire body except for my left leg. Right. So, um, and I had one of those done uh, when I was around 20. And this kind of ties very mm -hmm. significantly to the book. And the second one done uh, just before 40. So both are uh, very major points of reflection and change in my life. Mm -hmm. And so the first one is a, a giant eagle across my back and one across my, my stomach. And there's a shackle around each eagle and they're trying to, they're not in traditional like eagle tattoo poses. They're, they're trying to take flight. Right. right. And the shackle runs all the way down my leg mixed with some other stuff. Doesn't really matter. Um, but there's a giant shackle around my ankle and they're shackled to that. And, uh, that to me at the time when I got that done, um, and it still is, I guess, uh, was about being able to accomplish 
anything that you believe in life, anything that you want to. Mm -hmm. The only thing holding you back at the end of the day is really yourself. And, you know, that's once we kind of dive into the story a little bit, that'll really make sense because there was some significant obstacles and struggles in you know, the course of my early life. No, you don't say. (laughs) Yes. Uh, That, you know, everybody's got their story. So I don't want to say, hey, mine's worse or this or that. Um, But I definitely have had a a scope uh, of uh, experiences in my life that differ from most people in this day and age. And uh, the second one is an Ouroboros. So that is, you know, from uh, Northern European mythology, uh, it's typically a circle mm-hmm. of a, either a serpent or a, um, a snake eating its own tail. So mm-hmm. it's infinity is one thing or the continual renewal of life. So eating itself, becoming new again. And so this one, it covers my entire upper body. So there's this giant dragon's head across my chest. The, the the rest of the, the the serpent wraps around my arms, my shoulders, and comes back around, and it's eating its own tail. And um, this is about the purposeful reinvention of oneself. This is about specifically in this world choosing who you want to be mm-hmm. and what you want to contribute and becoming that. Mm-hmm. So it's a very purposeful versus the other is more of a discovery of what you're capable of and, and accomplishment and understanding that that is separate from your environment. Right. So, um, so they're really kind of two different pieces and they'll tie very closely uh, to the story. But uh, the, yeah, so. totally. Or yeah, stories. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause I was uh, in uh, reading your book, you know, I'm, I'm on a first name basis with lots of shit happening, but you take it to a whole other level. (laughs) There's there's some, uh, I mean, anything from your, uh, Jesus, I mean, I don't even know where to start Uh, from. uh, You know, uh, uh, let me, uh, let me just give a a brief run through of uh, like one story from my childhood. So um, I'm about six years old and, you know, we're living in the mountains in Northern California and uh, we don't have a vehicle, we don't have a home, and I've got a younger brother, a younger sister, and my mom is pregnant, and, uh, and we're living next to a stream, and there's tons of rattlesnakes. There's like a couple rattlesnake dens close by. So literally we had beams strapped into the trees because that's where we would sleep. Right. And... Uh, you know, so during the day, we'd, you know, me and my brother would chase alligator lizards and things like that through the field. And uh, we'd tie uh, playing cards to dragonflies and like race them to see who could fly the farthest. Right. And, you know, that's just just life. But also at the same time, like I, I knew how in practice catching live rattlesnakes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you take a forked stick, you kind of tease the snake and it strikes and you get it right behind the, the head. you got to know exactly where to grab it so you can control it. And you pick it up and that snake will just whirl around your arm, right? And you're sitting there. You know, I'm six years old, staring death in the face. I mean, you can see they're, they're, they're called serpent eyes for a reason. Like, you're staring into a snake and you can tell that thing just wants to kill you. Yeah, of course. Like, that, 
you know, and it's sitting there and it's okay. Okay. Now I know, got to know where I've got to cut it so that the venom doesn't contaminate the meat. Cause we're going to eat this later. Right. Um, because you know, that's what we do. We yeah. kill animals. We forage for food, know the different types of mushrooms, what's edible, what's not. Right. And, um, you know, that's, that's the way we live. That's the way I grew up. So, you know, it's really interesting. I hear people, you know, talk about, you know, being poor, not having enough in this day and age. And it's kind of like, I'm like, okay, I get it, but you've got a gaming center. You've got a smartphone. Yeah. Yeah. Your you, concept you of have poor clothes is that are not right. like years old and falling off. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I was typically running around the mountains shoeless as well. I'm right. Still, I still run around shoeless, uh, but <laughs> it's a modern hunter gatherer. So, right. So, yeah. uh, um, that was kind of the upbringing and it, and it got worse from there. Right. So, um, there's a, some very, you know, <laughs> distinct things that happen, but just to kind of give a scope of what that looked like. That's a story from, from, uh, from my, early yeah, I mean, life. even so. like, uh, or even mentioning earlier, like anything from like cops, uh, taking you guys away from your family because of like, Hey, the parents can properly care for the kids. This is a wild way of mm -hmm. life. And then cops turn out to be tied to a pedophile ring, trying to give kids to pedophiles. Yep. Yep. And it, which it made national news when my, my mom discovered, figured this out when she right. threw her in jail Yeah, and she talked, uh, found some great attorney down in LA. I don't know how she talked him into taking the case pro bono and, uh, they uncovered the whole thing and they literally caught the, the leader of the pedophile ring, um, as he was trying to get on the plane, board the plane to leave the country. Right. right. Hmm. And so the sheriff and his deputies and a bunch of them all went to prison. Um, and these are the people that we were. So yeah, I, one of them was a serial killer. Yeah, and exactly. Uh, yeah. And then the which sheriff actually stayed my mom from him right. uh, like a year or two earlier because oh. she it was suspected in the community. This were, you know, like this is a very remote community yeah. where stuff like this could, so it's like deep in the, you know, yeah. there's a small town, right? So, and then you drive another hour, you get to a smaller town. Right. And you drive for another hour and a half, you know, on this, it's actually only 24 miles, but it takes you over an hour on the windy roads, the last of the paved roads to get to this little town called I am bomb. That's got like a hundred people in the whole valley. Right. Right. And that's, so they preyed upon, you know, of course. this. And so it was known that women alone with the, these two officers, cause he was not the sheriff at that point yeah. yet would disappear. Right. And so, like, he came to arrest my mom um, because, you know, pulled up, shine the light in the house, weed tables covered with weed. And, uh, and, uh, yeah. And so, you know, my, my mom sends me running down the street. We we're in this uh, old mining complex. So there was, or not old mill complex. Yep. So it was a bunch of, like, uh, housing for that. And there used to be a mill. There wasn't, it was all decrepit, but some, you know, us poor people, that's where we'd live during the, right. the winter when I needed to go to school and stuff like that. And, uh, I had to run down the street and get, you know, everybody that was the adults that were drinking beer down the way to come up to the house and stand there while she was being taken. So people knew right. that she was with them. Right. Yeah. And then, yeah, we find out actually it was back in yeah. like, 20, 20 years later, when he got out of prison, he went back to his serial killer ways and was actually stalking my mom. Jeez. Right? In the Eastern, this is out. You were, <laughs> your friend was talking to we were before the podcast about Madras and some other areas. But, you know, she ended up, he just ended up being in the same county in this very far remote community. Out of prison 20 years later, starts stalking my mom. Jesus. And, uh, 
Yeah. Anyway, the, the police end up at the property and they find four women dead and buried on his property. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah. So you yep. make up for lost time. <laughs> So this so, is like like real Northwest California, like above Redding and all that. Up yes, course. yeah, uh, kind of. Uh, so um, a lot of people are familiar with Humboldt County. Oh yeah. So um, we well we started kind of north of San Francisco when I was uh, much younger, like around Ukiah up in the mountains out there, mm-hmm. and then we moved uh, up just uh, east of Humboldt County. So the mountains kind of roll, and then it turns into Trinity, and there's a Trinity Wilderness, which is actually really really cool place um and it it's like the the swiss alps but smaller you know um, just really dramatic peaks yeah. and you can't drive in it or nothing it's just uh but anyway we were kind of on the edge of that right on the humboldt county line wow um because that's that, that's what my parents did um you know they grew weed to try to make a living um my mom uh, was trying to find a place outside of society outside of rules mm-hmm. to like form her you know i don't she's she has a distinct issue with um, uh, authority, uh, authority figures, and things of that nature. It's definitely played its role in my my life as well. <laughs> yeah. You'll see a lot of the similarities there. Um, but uh, you know, she was uh, she was going to school to become a chemical engineer. She graduated top of her class uh, for academics and athletics, and and uh, but just you know, in college, said you know, I just don't want to be part of you know, this, this world. And I'm going to figure out how to, right. to make my, my, my life, you know, outside of that means and, uh, just do what I want to do. And so that's how we, it was not a, it was a very, you know, purposeful, you, you know, choice. choice. Right. Um, I wouldn't say that it's the best to do with a family in tow or yeah, other stuff, you right. know, like, but I, 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 I have no issues with at the end of the day, like, there's some tragic things happen, but growing up that way, people go, must have been horrible. And I'm like, you know, a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, this was life for yeah, everybody. like everyone. Yeah. yeah. You got to go down to a stream and get some water and you may have to boil it or set it in the sun so you can ba- warm it up to bathe with, you know, like you got to know, you got to, sure. you know, hunt and forage is a little mix uh, to what you're doing. Like this is, it's not like. No, that, no, I mean, it's just different right. than what we see and what we had experience in the world. Sure. No, day, being right? in a New Delhi slum surely would be way worse. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, it just happened that we ran into murders and yeah, that, that's the part that's like, like the last. It, 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 yeah. it, so there's the foraging <laughs> of the land. <laughs> yeah. uh, strikes as unusual, not for everybody, <laughs> but okay, we're yeah. talking. And a lot of the other know, part is where yeah. it gets a, little... a lot of close calls with death for myself, right. for my siblings. You know, just you don't say. So when you start out at six years old, holding a rattlesnake, <laughs> that if you let go a tiny bit, you're dead. You mean that's not? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, we were you know in the deep. So people know Humboldt County, but the area we were in was like kind of the deep growing area. So it was really dangerous. Like right. you know, there's people with machine guns out there in the woods. You know, um, in yeah, those days, and I'm not kidding. Like this is on their like, crops, you cro- they are and you're, and you're be gone. Active. People yeah. disappeared. Yeah. It was a regular thing, and uh, so you know you had to be careful with where you went and know where things were. And there was surveillance with uh, aerial surveillance all the time. You know, my, my, my parents, what they did is grow weed as big as the trees Yeah, and that way it would camouflage because you couldn't differentiate yeah. it. So, 
Wow. So you have this group of people. I mean, that's, I guess, where your serial killers go hanging out for the same thing your mother's so looking it, for, to be so, away so, from exactly. society. So that's literally, it's dangerous. Yeah. People don't realize, even in today's age, you know, I'm, you know, I, I've got a rifle, you know, locked up in my house that I've had for, since I was a kid. I don't really use, I'm not into guns. My, but my, my whole family, they still live in a lot of these areas. And, you know, it's, you know, I got three sisters and my mom and they pack, you know, and people would look at that and go, why do you need that? And like, <laughs> you're, you're right, middle nowhere. There's, this is where people that need to hide are at. Yeah, like, people yeah. don't realize it's dangerous. Of course. You know, if you <laughs> I don't. I, I could tell you a lot of stories from today, or t- five years mm-hmm. ago, or ten years ago, because uh, my mom and one of my sisters still run a mining claim out in the middle of nowhere in right. Eastern Oregon, and uh, it's open to the public. And there's some, if they didn't have, you know, a 44 Convincers. on their hip, yeah. like things would could go very awry. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't think people really realize that that's still kind of the case because. You know, of course, where, where are people going to go? So yeah. yeah, we ran into those people obviously growing up and that's what does legalization do to those folks? I'm sure they're still growing, but it's got to affect them in a big way because the old channels are probably disappearing and now you got to go through all these fucking rules and testing and all that sort of stuff. It's got to be a drag. Um, well, I'm not really involved in a lot of I that. I just wanted so, overall the community, yeah, but I, I, I actually went back in the course of writing my book. Um, uh, uh, I started out by flying, uh, into San Francisco mm-hmm. And I went up north to Ukiah, and then I went out into the mountains, and I went up to one of the places that we homesteaded on. And the family we homesteaded with and where my mom learned commercial weed growing is still there. Wow. Um, It's finished now. You know, back then it was just plywood (laughs) and lamps and candles and... Uh, my mom had, you know, made a, a an oven into the side of the hill, and there's no road. You'd have to hike into it, wow, wow. Um, you know, and because uh, you'd get the dirt roads far enough, and then you just have to park your car and then walk the rest of the way yeah. into <laughs> to where we lived, you know. And the family lived in a teepee for a while, and then they started building the house, and that's we kind of lived together communal style for a couple years there. And uh, I went there, and uh, the family's still there. Um, the house is finished. They've got a generator. They've got a they've got a well or a spring or filtered water or something, so it's plumbed. Yeah. Nice. Um, but it's funny, like the 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 uh, the the father who's in his sixties now. He's pointing to the ceiling. He's like, "See, see the railing up there?" And I'm like, "Yep." He's like, "See the nails?" I'm like, "Yeah, those are still the same nails, aren't they?" That's where all the weed would right. be hanging when of we course. were going up, right? <laughs> you know. And uh, um. And uh, my good, I there was a a friend who was the same exact age as me, and uh, he lives there. He built a house uh, up on the on the property as well, and uh, that's just Northern California. Things move at a slow pace. Right. Forty years later, not much has changed. Right. No. See the place. But they were yeah. they were talking about the legalization thing. Going, you know, hey, this is really, you know, we one we can't really make a living anymore doing this because the, one shame. the prices have really gone down of by course. the number of people that are in it but they are at the same time like this is awesome because that's that's what they wanted all these years is they don't really they were they weren't doing it to make money it was doing it with something they believed in and sure. a lifestyle and whatever and it was just like but as a whole this is good like that's was right. their view so right. so anyway that's just one i was just one, worried one, about them that's just I knew one, it was gonna be one test point that you know yeah. i got so yeah, yeah. Um, there is still a lot of illegal growing going oh, on. Oh, for sure. So, sure. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Well, one thing that comes up a bit in the book, uh, um, 
both because of your experiences as well as like family history and stuff. Mm-hmm. You refer to, you know, bunch of people in your family had major struggles with depression, yes. with, yeah. so, you know, mental health issues yeah. and all of that. Yeah. So my, my father's side of the family, well, did you have a question before I... Yeah, I guess. No, take it anywhere you want. I'll have okay. questions, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually was having a good conversation on this last night, but... Uh, um, yeah, my father's side of the family, depression runs in, and um, he made, I think, seven attempts on his life. Um, I witnessed some of those right. uh, as a child, and I witnessed he had a lifelong battle with alcohol as, as, as well. Um, so he lived in Santa Rosa or Sonoma, Sonoma mostly, and then later in uh, Santa Rosa, and uh, which is just north of San Francisco for, yep. you know. Um, those that may not be familiar with the California area. And uh, I would just jump on a Greyhound bus and drive in to see him, uh, which I have no idea why my parents would let me do that at the ages that I did. Sure. I'd figure then out, again, I'd, I'd get, I'd get into San Francisco. And I'd, figure out, man. I'd figure out how to get north. And yep. like, and then I call up my dad. I'm like, hey, I'm here. And he's like, oh, okay. And because uh, <laughs> I you know, didn't really have a phone to call. No. I'd like, right. I'd write him a letter at the beginning of summer saying, hey, I'm coming to visit. And then I'd take that yeah. as a... I'm coming to visit, and yeah. I just tell, and my mom would be like, "Did you talk to him?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, oh, okay, sure. get on the ball oh. set." Like <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so, um, but like you know, I remember like one time it was really bad. I I I I'm sitting there at a convenience store waiting for him to come walk from where he was living to pick me up, and I could see him coming, and uh, there was just rings of stains going outwards from his crotch covering his whole body because he'd been in bed in a depressive state um, and drinking but didn't even get up to go to the bathroom for weeks. Right. Didn't, okay. Not changing his clothes and I could smell him as he's coming in the reek of alcohol and, uh, you know, like nobody would serve him so he was like calling taxis and giving them money to go get, uh, you know, beer, right. liquor. He invented uh, Grubhub and didn't even know it. I, I know, yeah. Wait, <laughs> Grubhub in the 70s or 80s, right. I guess, at this point. So, um, but uh, his mother, um, my grandmother, um, blew her head off with a shotgun. Um, her brother jumped out of a building uh, here in LA. Um, and I don't know how far back it goes, but it's a pretty far enough yeah, that there's so, a pattern and, there. Yeah. And right. I, so I've dealt with this my entire life. Right. Um, and, uh, it's, it's interesting because some of the things that I've done in reflection, like, you know, I ended up taking, so kind of jumping forward a little bit, uh, in the storyline, but, uh, I graduated high school, top of my, same as my mom, yeah. top of the class, <laughs> academics, athletics, all that stuff and got a full ride scholarship, uh, to go to college. And, uh, I, I quit calling or going home. Mm-hmm. Right. And because if I did, I'd be asked for money. Of course. The you know, opposite yeah. of how this normally works, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I'm like, well, I'm just going to live my life, do my thing. And, you know, and uh, so I checked in at uh, a couple years and things got really bad at home. Uh, my mom had a mental breakdown, ended up in Montana. My sister's dad was not capable of really managing himself and the kids. And right. so they, anyway, think I started taking custody of my sisters and, uh, and then continue if you like look through it or I think through my life I've always been in this point of having you know that's a big part of like having being in a leadership role and mentoring others and always having a number of people around me reliant 
or not maybe reliance, not the right word. Like, you know, the world's not sure for them, but like, you know, having kids, having, yeah. you know, all the, like being in a position that I can't fail, that sure. I can't disappear. Yeah. And, uh, I, and I hate feel- to say it, but that's like, that's how I've kept myself alive. So that, like, in a paradoxical kind of way, having to be strong for someone else yes. helped you in yes, this process. Yeah, it, it is. And so in reflection, I didn't really realize it until I'm like walking through this process of the writing the <clears> book, <throat> reflecting on my life. And I'm like, wow, this is, mm. it's not like that all the time. Like, uh, you know, I could obviously go on medication for being bipolar or whatever, but same time, you know, we haven't talked about like the things that I've done, but like I brought, I'm a very creative person. I brought a lot of things things <laughs> to to uh, uh, from my life and all that comes from the upside of things and do, do you I, ever, I can't i'm sorry right i i can't let go of like that is me like i'm i'm very intense very passionate yeah. very creative and and i don't want to level any of that out and i've learned how to manage and control the downsides and but in flex i'm like i literally put myself in a position that i can't well fail i mean like, there was even growing up like when, when I noticed the timing of when I left mm. and things fell apart, like somehow I was in this position being at a young age that I was still like this gel that held the family together. And when I pulled out, everything went fell apart. Hell. Right. Right. But I mean, the thing that you're saying, because on one end, you know, it makes perfect sense. Like you have to be strong for someone else. So you just make it happen because there's no other option. Yep. But on the other end, you have plenty of evidence of people in your family who were in the same position and didn't really get the same results. You know, it's like from your stepfather, your mom to some degree, mm-hmm. definitely your dad. They technically couldn't fail. You know what I mean? Because yep. they had a lot that, of people being yep. uh, dependent on them mm-hmm. and it still happened. <laughs> so it's not to say that, it, it, you no, know, it's, it's not like... The, I'm, not, I'm not putting that out there as an answer for anybody sure, else. Of course. I think there's a lot of other factors of course. Uh, around choices, character, all these other things that feed into that. Right. But that is definitely a piece for me when you put all that together. Sure. That that, that works. But yeah, that's not like, hey, somebody's got this problem. Just well, do this. That's going to fix right. it. Right. No. That's Get not, some responsibility that, and not, it's going to work for I'm, everybody. That's not what I'm saying. No, uh, definitely. In that sense, do you think is more, I mean, the fact that there's a hereditary element in it is like, do you think it's more chemical? Do you think it's chemical plus just because you live around somebody, you grow up around people who are that way, then of course it influences you environmentally, like because you mm-hmm. grow up that way. What's your take on it? Um, so yeah, the, for my, for the family side, it's definitely something that's like chemical. Like okay. it's, it's, it's something that's gone from generation to generation, at least three, no, four different generations right. that I'm aware of. And I don't have any family history beyond that. Yeah. So, so it's, it's so you pretty think consistent. There's something yeah. DNA wise yes. that's yeah. right. And, uh, so, um, but obviously, you know, other things like drug sure. and alcohol abuse and all that, there's, you know, hereditary, you know, chemical piece of that, but there's also environment and of course. the influence of that as well. Right. Right. So, um, you know, myself and everybody in my family has all struggled with that, that, and, you know, I'm the only one that is on my father's side that has the the bipolar that runs in the family. Right. So specifically, but right, yeah. of course. The, but I guess okay. So let's play with that a little bit. It's like you and you know we are gonna go into some of the stuff you have done specifically, and feel free to jump in into that at any point. But you know, you clearly 
have seen a lot of people around you struggle with demons. You have struggled with demons. Yeah. I mean, I watch people. So in the book, we haven't covered it and we don't really need to dive yeah. in. But yeah, I mean, from first, second grade on, I've had my friends disappear around me, you know, die, family members, so on, you know, yeah. with the choices related to, to all this. So, right. Um, and really, you know, everybody's disappeared or had something bad other than my sisters who, again, I didn't make them successful, sure. but I provided the opportunity and, yeah. and I had a, uh, an approach that worked. Um, yeah. uh, and, uh, but outside of that, yeah, I've definitely seen a lot of that. So in light of that, in light of the fact that you have seen all the times when people try, because it's not that people don't try. It's not just a matter of, hey, toughen up. You should, mm -hmm. you, you need to want it. It's like, I'm sure nobody wants to be yep. depressed. It's yep. like, I really want to be horrendously depressed and suicidal. You know, nobody wants that. So it's not a matter of, uh, hey, just try harder. So you have seen all the failures. And yet, you know, for yourself, you've also seen the way out. What do you think are, and, and I appreciate the fact that you were saying earlier, you know, there is no cookie cutter, one size fit all, uh, mm -hmm. do this, this, and this, and everything is going to work out. Because of course there are many, many, yep. many different facets to this, but what are some of the things that for you, um, you feel, uh, so I, you know, and, and this is a big part of the first part of the book is, uh, how you define yourself. Mm-hmm. And that definition, you, it's, it's weird. You ask a lot of people who they are and they will tell you just like I've been doing, you know, here's my sob story. Sure. I'm honestly, I'll tell you, this is not my story. I'm using this story and sharing it to articulate a point. That's not who I am. Right. I'm not the poor kid that did, yep. the, you know, grip, like I am what I am today and what I contribute in the world and in my actions sure. and my behaviors. Right. And, uh, a lot of people define themselves by the things that have happened to them. Sure. Hey, I'm the guy with a bad back. Hey, I'm the guy that, you know, such and such yeah. happened to. I'm the person with, you know, alcoholic parents. So I'm continually going to be this. And, uh, that's not like your environment is certainly going to have some sort of influence on sure. you. So I'm not going to negate that, you know? Um, but at the same time, you're not defined by your environment. Okay. The definition of who you are is right now in the now, what are you doing? What actions are you taking as a result of that? You know, mm -hmm. you get hit by a car and break your back. Okay. You're not the guy with a broken back. What do you do? You could sit in a, a wheelchair and, or you could be the one that's being proactive, trying to do like do taking action or, you know, moving some other direction in life. Um, and maybe even using that as a positive thing to actually build a platform from, to help people, uh, so on. So that's, that's the example of like, you have to separate what has happened to you is not who you are, right? You are your behaviors and your actions. That is who you are. And you have complete 100% control of this. Okay. And that shift is really valuable. And like I said, I, I mentioned my sisters, like, you know, I don't really realize what I was doing at the time, but I would, I, I, when I took them in, I did a very non-parental approach. You know, I didn't helicopter parent or do mm -hmm. like, I was like, Hey, you know, you need to figure this out. You're going to go to school. You're, or you're going to get your GED or you're going to get a job. I, I don't care. Go do it. Right. Right. And I put the onus on them 
And then if they needed something, they could come to me and ask for it. Um, but I can't make a person successful. Sure. And so it was really around giving them that control. Like, here's a stable environment we've got to live in. Yeah. I own my house. Yeah. Which, that's pretty cool to do at 21 years old when you've had that, <laughs> that, 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 that upbringing. Um, and, uh, you know, just like putting that onus in action on them so that they realize they've got control and start getting those wins based on decisions and things that they're doing in their life. Right. Right. Um, but that's, that's, that's a, just a really big point I want to drive home. You know, we, again, we haven't talked about like where I went to, what I work through and all the other things, but, um, you know, if somebody that, so that's the whole point of the book. Like if I can come from where yeah. I came from and become one of the strongest people in the world, become a corporate executive doing company turnarounds to, you know, to a point of just deciding to even, yeah. I don't even want to do that. I'm going to retire and walk away from that in my late thirties and start my own company. That is, I work with every, nearly yeah. every professional sport and collegiate team around the world, uh, in, in a matter of years. Like if, if I can do that and cover that scope in my life, what can you do? Yeah. And that's what the story really is about articulating. No, and in fact, is uh, when I ask you about some of the darker stuff, it's not for some uh, let's indulge into some sub story or let's have some perverse desire to mm -hmm. explore ugly situations. It's for the journey because the reality, I mean, and I think that's what you're doing with this book is the reality is there are lots and lots and lots of people who are not going to be holding uh, on to a rattlesnake when they are six, who are not going to be dealing with serial killers, but they deal with some really heavy shit. Yeah. I, yep. And so the point is, in that sense, seeing, no matter what kind of specific heavy shit you are dealing with, the fact that there's stories of people who figure out a way to have a path out of that and as your tattoo imply, reinvent themselves and kind of create a different journey. That's what interests me. And that's what interests me, not just as a general feel-good story of like, oh, isn't yeah. that cool? But like, no, specific, like, how does somebody go from that yeah. spot to the next one? Because again, lots of people don't like the intention. I mean, some do, mm -hmm. okay? Some, they're just zero willpower, they're zero choice, they're zero not wanting to help themselves. Okay, I get that. But there are plenty of people who do, right? Yeah. Who do want to help themselves, who do want to have a better life, who do crave and badly. And they still don't know how, you know yeah. what I mean? Or they stumble and fall yeah. backward, you know, one step forward, three back kind of thing. And so it interests me to hear the exact specifics of that journey because I yeah. think it's the kind of stuff that then somebody else can pick up on and go like, oh, that adds a little piece to my past. Yeah. That gives me an idea at least. And, and that's why, so you read the book, but it's, it's written in a little bit different style than just a pure autobiography. Mm -hmm. It's not just a story. So every chapter explores themes and then reflections during those times of what I learned, how I put it into place. But at the same time, I was very uh, particular about making sure that I don't tell people what to value, um, how to live, what they want out of life, but actually ask the questions to get them to dive deeper and understand that so that they can form their, their own. So it's, it's very, it's, it's an interesting piece. It's an autobiography, mm -hmm. but it's, it's a self it's written almost as a little bit of a self-help and guidance book sure. with some really practical pieces.
apologies, but we need to do a super quick sponsor shout out. So here we go with 30 seconds. Imagine for a moment it's the year 2010. You leave your high paying job at a blue chip software company, come home and do the same thing you've done now for weeks. You go to the medicine cabinet, take four or five painkillers from your cancer stricken wife's never ending supply, crush them up into a powder, wash it down with a tumbler of vodka. It didn't used to be this way. And it's about to get much, much worse. This is the story of Robert B. And he tells it on the powerful new podcast, Keep Coming Back, Real Stories of Sobriety and Recovery. Each week, host Mike S. interviews and unravels the stories of people who fell down and have managed to get back up again. Subscribe and listen. A link to the website is included in today's show notes. trying to go down the self-improvement or accomplishment route or whatever you know there's so many things like I need a bucket list I need to create goals I need to do this and people aren't starting at the right point and the right point is like you need to understand like what you really value in life okay and uh, to ask those deeper questions And a lot of people like, what do you want? And they'll list some materialistic things. And that's fine. Maybe you want those. But ask yourself, why do you want those things? Okay. A common example I use is big fancy house and a car. And a lot of people can understand why people want that. And that's fine. Sure. Again, no judgments of whatever people want out of life. That's fine. But it could also be, if you ask yourself why, it could be that security is actually a primary value in your life and that you know if you're successful enough to have those things you'll be able to create a secure future for yourself and your family but if you don't understand that you could over leverage yourself to get those things because you don't know why you want them yeah and you've actually done the opposite of creating security in your life I'm not a rich person I don't really have a desire to be but the life that I've created today is exactly doing exactly what I want to do in the world, right. have the things around me that are really important. And I live, and it's like, to me, I'm like, I am rich. Like I, I live everything that I want to. And, and, and that's a, that's a great thing. So that's the starting point is like, you've got to really understand like what you want, what you value in life. Right. Mm-hmm. And then from there now, okay, now how do I create some goals? Okay that are going to help me accomplish and realize that. Right. Right. And so this is kind of the process that works through that, that I work through in the book. So maybe not directly, but that is like, if you're doing the work that's in there, this is a, this is what it is. And these are the questions that I'm asking and the stories that I'm putting in place to help you to, to articulate those points. And so, um, it's crazy actually reading the feedback I've been getting Mm -hmm. like, this book has changed people's lives. And mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, that's freaking cool. Um, but hearing the stories of like what it's done t- for some people is just, it, it is just huge. And uh, so 
well, and it makes me feel good about like, that's what I really hoped on doing with the book. Of course, and that of was, course. it was kind of a fine line. Like, how do you write something that talks about like your accomplishments and other stuff and, but doesn't come across as, Narcissist. Oh, look, right, at, of oh, course, look of at me, yeah. look at, you know, which is not the point. So I wasn't really sure in writing it, whether that it would come across sure. right until, cause I could read it to myself or have, uh, you know, friends read or whatever forever and not really get that feedback until it gets to market. And so it's, it's awesome seeing that people are seeing that piece of it and using, uh, you know, some of the processes right. that are in there. Um, cause that's, that's what it does. It drives reflection, drives you to look at these things so you can come up with, you know, your own answers. Cause I can't give you the answers of, of course what to value, what you want out of life, how to live it and all these, cause we all have different, different approaches. There's no right or wrong and you can't place judgment around anything like, no, and you make but, a good point, you know, in asking questions of saying, okay, what is that you value? What is that you want? And then helping people in that sense, not take the, no, that's not really what you want. That's like what you, I mean, maybe it is, yes. but like, it's because you want something like the example you made, you know, the house or mm, car or money. It's not because you care for the piece of paper itself or because you need to have that exact yeah. square what is footage. It, what, is it, what does it it's, mean to you? Right. Yeah. And so being able to differentiate what people think they need and what they really need. And sometimes the two coincide and sometimes they don't. That's great. Yeah. That works. That's got to be a real awakening for some folks, too. That's like, look, oh, I've got to have the biggest pile of platinum yeah. and stuff like that. And we were just discussing last week well, these mid-level millionaires who are never going to be billionaires, they're above the middle class, but they're miserably working themselves yes, to death course. for something they can never achieve. And you're sort of showing folks another way. I, exactly. I, I get a little frustrated sometimes with um, uh, <laughs> the the motivation porn stuff. The You know, like, it's fine. Again, no judgment. Some people want that. That's, sure. hey, I want to collect fancy cars. That's cool. Uh, but to go out there and tell everybody that this is what you should go after and this is yeah, what the ridiculous. definition of success is. Ridiculous. And like, there's some problems there. Yeah. And also the, you got to be in the hustle, you got to be in the grind, you got to be in, the, you know what that means? Like that is serious freaking work. Like, oh, and yeah. sacrifice. Everybody. And sacrifice. And so if it's not really what you want, it's not worth it. It's not worth it unless it is like, I was unless thinking, it is, you know, last night I was thinking about it because I, I, I had to remember, I forgot who said that, but something like this, like the motivational mm -hmm. and he was like, what the hell are you doing watching Game of Thrones? Those are hours of your life that he could have put in pushing forward. And I was like, you know what, unless the pushing forward really leads you to a place of super happiness, which is now the way it works for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Maybe taking the time to watch Game of Thrones increase the quality of your life more than just grinding a little more. Exactly. You know? it's so like, if you if you haven't done that self or exploration, yeah. don't be jumping in the yeah. hustle grind life of okay, I'm gonna bust my ass and live, you know, on on on, on nothing and work 18 hour days for the next 10 years. Yeah, like. May not I'm be for you. I'm gonna sacrifice my family. I'm gonna delay, you know, doing these yeah, things. Yeah, may like, not be for you like, at all. It, it's not. Yeah. That, that's major sacrifice. You better. You better know what you want. Right? Of course. Now, if you really want those things, and it's going to take that, and yeah. you need to understand that. And 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 I and I talk through that in the book too, and celebrating the small wins and being comfortable with like knowing exactly where you want to be. Maybe not exactly, but a scope of yeah. where you want to be. And there's a lot of different outcomes that could accomplish. If that's the yeah. nice thing, of like course. if you actually understand your values, uh, you don't have to have this one thing. Yeah. Right. Uh, I need to be. 
an NFL player in the Super Bowl. That's the only answer. <laughs> good well, luck. why do you exact good luck? Uh, but there's a lot of different, if you understand why you want to be that, there's a whole lot of other avenues. Hey, I want the fame. That's what I want. I want, you know, what, if I understand these things, I could create a, a, you know, this picture of a lot of different outcomes and start working those paths and being comfortable with, you know, it's going to take a long time. It may be five years before major movement and then, ten, you know, and so on. And then all of a sudden things will start falling in place, but you got to be laying the groundwork every single day and looking at your actions every single day and going, is this aligned with what I want to be doing? Cause if you, if you want to chase those big gnarly goals, you've got to be working it every day and cutting out the things in your life that aren't aligned with that. Right. And you know, uh, what's funny is that that really tells a lot about how your brain works because like there's passages that we didn't bring up in the book, but like over and over again, one of the things that make you successful is where you start working somewhere and we just engineering genius, you figure out how to streamline the process of what a certain company is doing, how to get better results with way less physical space, with way less expenses, with way less. So it seems like, and here you're talking about it on a more emotional level, Yep. but it's the same process. It's right? the same stuff. It's yeah, like, it is. It's a complex is organism. Right. So there's not like this one, like two and two equals four equation that you can just plug into these things in every business. So I ran aerospace company, mm -hmm. manufacturing companies, automotive manufacturing, high tech, like all this sort of, and they all have like different needs and vastly different ways that they affect the market. And, and then the complex organization. Or, you know, organism of that process of that and the people that are involved with it and how they interact. And you, right. It, it, it's not, it's not something that you can necessarily map out on paper. Again, you got to have this fuzzy picture of where yeah. you want to go and be pushing on it all the time. I have to take a wild guess though. Your managerial right. style must be get in, down in the trenches with the people and lead by example. A big part of that is yes. Because that's and, the way to do a, it. Not big, just stand in your office and just, oh, no. oh work yeah. faster. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and another, uh, you know, just to kind of side head down that path a little bit is, uh, is the, just the one-on-one -on -one interactions. Mm -hmm. So if you've got this fuzzy picture of where you want to take this organization, maybe it's like, it should be fairly clear, but like, you know, you can't spell it out exactly, but you should be able to paint a picture for anybody. And you should be able to paint a picture of what they look like in that picture, what part they're playing, right? Mm -hmm. And so I would go into companies, and a lot of times the person I'm replacing has been working seven-day day, seven, seven day weeks, 14-hour days, hair caught on fire, running this report, doing that activity, this and that. And I would literally not do anything because I'm going to find out what I actually have to do first. Right. So, um, so step one, I, I don't do anything, and I just go talk to people. And one of the biggest things that I continue to do in a company is just go talk to people. So I used to fancy myself as an introvert. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. He sure um, seems shy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a lot of people that will argue that because I'm, <laughs> yeah, anyway. But uh, <laughs> got to understand, my, I, I barely talked to anybody growing up, right? And uh, just like, anyway. Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> um, I never saw myself as a, as a leader, Right. But I always fell in these leadership roles, even in high school sports, you know, I was, you know, team captain, this, uh -huh. and that. And I'm like, what, why, why this quiet kid that doesn't talk to anybody. Right. And then I got into somehow I, my first jobs after engineering school, uh, was right into leadership. And I'm like, I actually kind of like it, 
but I don't see myself like as being this rah rah because I saw leaders being the rah rah. Here's a company meeting. Yeah. Here's you know get everybody motivated. I just couldn't pull it off. I couldn't do that right. And uh, but what I did is just go talk to everybody one on one, all day, every day, every chance I get. So Not all important. day, right? So important. And and all of a sudden, so you go into a failing organization, and things are a mess, and you can't it you've got to change like the entire culture a lot of times of a company. And how do you do that? Like it's one-on-one, like showing people how they fit in, what their role in that's going to be and find, you know, and, and just painting this picture that they can see where we're going and want to be part of it and to make it happen. And then the other part is to challenge them yep. to scare them. Almost like what I did with my sisters, put them in control. Oh shit. I'm, I'm 16. I don't have a car. How am I supposed to go get a GED? I'm like, go figure it out. <laughs> Report back, <laughs> you know? And so I'd challenge people to like, right. Hey, here's a product. Oh like, man, I like, that's big. I don't, I don't know if I can do that. I'm like, I think you can. I really do. You know, would, um, would you get and, and, later and, and, that and it's like, almost was their idea in the end when they come back and like, Oh, I sort of, uh, <laughs> yeah, you sure did. Good job. <laughs> Keep going. But, but it's, it's part of like that, that fear of, you know, you put somebody in this place of the fear of the unknown, mm-hmm. right? The fear of, I, I don't know, I think I can accomplish this, but maybe I can't, right? Do you know what happens to somebody as far as an engagement standpoint? And you'll not just see it in their work. You'll start seeing it in other aspects of their life. And next thing you know, that person will be like, they're, you know, 40 years old and always wanted to get their bachelor's degree and never got it. They're going back to school. They're, you know, like these things will just start... And, you know, that I can't tell you how many people that I've led through the years that are now like plant or general managers all around the Portland Metro area where, where I work, like it, it's pretty cool, but that's like, that's the leadership style I have. And it's very unconventional. I kind of had to learn it on my own. They don't really teach it anywhere. I don't think you can um, teach it. No. And that's uh, inside you probably. And, uh, um, well, but you I, can bring it out, like because I brought it oh, out yeah. in others, like and the same thing. Like it's oddly enough, I've had people, mul- not just one person, like multiple people that I've fired that have come back to me at other jobs and begged me to come work for me again because they're like, "You're the only person that actually gave it to me straight, and I was in a bad point in my life. You were very clear. You weren't a jerk about it. You weren't an asshole, um, and." Uh, you changed my life and I need to prove it to you that I'm a changed person. That's, that's crazy. Isn't that's it? That's big. That's yeah. big. You know, that's I've had people big. work for me 10, 15 years. I've never had a job blogger in four years. Like, right. <laughs> you know, same thing. So, um, you know, that's, it's just, it's just interesting when you connect on that level, but get, get people really engaged in life. And again, that's kind of what this book is yeah. about as well. Right. Um, and that's like when I, that, that's what I really enjoyed about that type of work was the coaching, the mentoring, the getting people to accomplish things that they never thought they were capable of themselves. That is so incredibly rewarding. And that's when I decided to make that, that next reinvention, um, to have a bigger effect on the world in that manner. So I guess my question is this, you know, you give people the responsibility you invite people to make a shift in realizing, hey, you are you have been given some cards. And yes, yeah, some cards are great and some cards are really shitty. You may have gotten all the bad ones. 
but still ultimately is how you play them that's going to define you is not just the cards you're given which is a, of course a big mental shift mm-hmm. and that's great i mean there's no argument that that's the only thing you can do in that regard but of course you know some people will step up to the plate and will be able to make that shift and go like oh wow i do have more power than i thought i did and can start delivering your results your sisters being a prime example. You know, you didn't walk the walk for them. You just created conditions where they could do it. You gave them the incentive. You gave them a mental shift. But then ultimately, they do the work. They right? have to. Absolutely. There are, of course, cases where people are given the exact same stuff and then fall flat on their nose time and time again. And there's, is there a point where you say, this is just fate this is somebody just doesn't have it in them is it a point where there are other things that one can try is there because of course you know the results are not going to be the same for everybody for sure is this just this is how life is you know you have done you know you laid out everything perfect for them and some seeds grow and some things don't that's just how it is yeah uh in, in essence and uh so you know there's and you have to address this both in your personal life or if you're a leader in the business world, right? Uh, the business world's pretty easy. Yeah. And um, I've never I've never parted ways with anybody that has been upset about, well, probably upset, but sure. like it wasn't, you, you think about those type of situations and a lot of times it can be, ugly, you know, right. yelling, yeah. ugly, whatever. And, uh, you know, if you're clear as far as like, hey, here's what the expectations are. Right. So it's not about you personally. Sure. You know, you never, because it's not, but here's what needs to happen. Here's what the expectations are. Here's where you're at. Mm -hmm. And you have made the decision not to meet those expectations. So you've made the decision to not continue working together. Yeah. And it, it, it's on them, but you never like you, you're lazy. Right. All right. Like, so again, now you're trying to define that person. That's where things are going to get ugly. right? Right. And, uh, but it's also, you've got to do this in your personal life at some level too. And, uh, you, you do see a lot of people, especially in that, we talk about that whole hustle, grind, motivation porn. They're always, they do bring up a lot of like cutting the, uh, cut, cutting the naysayers out of your life sure. and stuff like that. And, uh, I, I agree with that, but also I think that you need to be careful with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some, some people may be saying it because they're trying to help you. Yeah. Um, so, so it's a matter of. Uh, understanding as a whole, you know, whether they're a positive influence as in truly they are supportive or it's somebody that just has one of those negative personalities, those behaviors. And so it's an analysis of behaviors really. Um, and you've, you, if you want to achieve, well, you need to be surrounding yourself with people that have that same purpose driven nature, the same set of behaviors, the same set of values. I like using that word. Yeah. Sure. Uh, sounds cliche, Sure, but you've, you've got to have that and build that circle and, and, and take those people that just happen to be out of in in your life because it was the environment. It's somebody I went to high school with. It's somebody that I worked with and you know, we had such and such in common, but at the end of the day, you know, they're somebody that you only put energy into all the time and and they all they do is draw the energy from you yeah yeah right that's where and, you... and, and that's where you you need to make those hard decisions and 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 move yep. move that out of out of life so no. um you know when i talked about creating that picture what i'm talking about doing is creating purpose for an organization 
creating purpose for people to get behind. Now, when you're doing that, for another, you can do it for another company, and I, that's what I did uh, repeatedly. Um, but you know, think about that in your own life, or you know, on the entrepreneur aspect, which is kind of what I do now. I've got multiple businesses, and they're all purpose driven. Okay, there there is a purpose in what we want to accomplish in the world, and. I can tell you, I have some of the smallest teams. I've worked with massive. Yeah, <laughs> I've led thousands of people in my career, and uh, uh, I have much smaller teams now, and they are the best teams I've ever worked with in my life. And a lot of times, these are the crowd of people that people say are horrible. You know, millennials. Most of my staff is twenty-two to twenty-eight years old. Right, right, and uh, they are some of the hardest working people. Be, that I've ever had, but they're a hundred percent there. I created an environment that drew them. Like they saw the purpose. They saw the mission, that vision, all that cliche stuff that people love to have their mission and vision sure. statement on the wall. But it like, what is that? Oh, I don't know. Oh, there it is. Let's read it. Actually creating it is a real thing. And you can draw people that are drawn, that want to be part of that. And now as a, as a unit, you're, you, you're working together to accomplish that. And it'll, it can create just an incredibly phenomenal environment. And that was part of my values. That's what I wanted to have in my life, in all aspects of my life, mm-hmm. to live and breathe being surrounded by people with that common interest and values. And guess what? We argue, <laughs> okay? Um, uh, sometimes a lot more than I would in another, argue, another organization where people, they don't care as much. So you get in a meeting and they're like, oh, that's a bad idea. Well, I'm not going to say anything because okay, it's going to cause right. this. Blah, not a big blah, 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 That yeah. versus here it's like we're, we're passionate. Of we want the same thing. Maybe we disagree on how to get there. Yeah. And, and there will be heated discussion uh, around that that may go on for a while sure. before we you know, reach resolution. But um, there's, nothing, there's nothing else like having that environment. And you should be trying to create that same environment in, in your personal life. And that's... Um, you know, I'm down here, I'm visiting, uh, visiting friends cause my, my network is all over because I don't rely on it just being this local There's people in my neighborhood. Right. I want an incredible people surrounding me in my life and I want to help them. And I want the, you know, and, and you take that, it's going to facilitate back the other direction as well. So on that note, what are some of the things that you are working on these days? What are the big one yeah, like you know yeah. you have had many many you you know you put on many 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 hats over your life yeah um what are some of the things that define who you are today so i'm a big believer in pushing oneself right and exploring your limits mm-hmm. because when you're in the process of that you learn a lot about yourself and it is a challenge to 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 continue to understand yourself and to grow as a person uh, so n- normally I have some sort of physical challenge in my life, which is why I've accomplished the things that I have. Uh, right now I'm, I hold the Guinness world record on the, on the de- sumo deadlift, uh, at a thousand pounds, which I actually did for almost three reps. And, uh, I'm training to squat 1000 pounds, mm-hmm. which will make me the only person in history to have squatted and deadlifted a thousand pounds. Um, and we're talking about comparing to, you know, 400 plus pound people in yep. conditions, whatever. Um, so I'm a fairly big guy, but by those standards, I'm not, you right. know, that's, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, 
so I'm really excited about that. And that's probably going to be like one of my bat last big, really big feats of strength. I turned 43 around the time I'm going to make the attempt. Um, you know, things are changing. You sure. have to be, we like to say that age is, is a number and, uh, you know, there's definitely some, some sense to that, but there's also the reality of, of course, you're not going to do some of those things, uh, at that level, of course, uh, at that period. So, so I've got that, um, my, my primary company is Kabuki strength. And so Kabuki strength is all about teaching people about the value of strength and strength is kind of a funny term. Um, you know, it gets used and people think about, you know, just pumping iron or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, I think about it as being resilient to stress, Sure, to be able to adapt to any stressor that comes at you and become, what does it do? You become a stronger and better version. Mm-hmm. This is, this is basic human yeah. physiology, but it goes beyond that. It's also uh, mental, emotional, yeah. spiritual, the same things. If we don't have challenges in life, we, be, we get soft. If you quit going training, what happens? The process of atrophy, which is where we start leading towards death. And like, sure. so, so in essence, the pursuit of strength is the pursuit of life. I know I'm getting a little philosophical, no, no, maybe reaching I a little bit. Like, this is what I believe. Of right? course. So anyway, back to Kabuki strength. So Kabuki strength is focused on the physical nature of it. And we do, um, we have principles around how we believe one should move. Uh, so a lot of biomechanic stuff and how we load to, a, to accomplish that. And so a lot of our education is, again, it's kind of, it sounds silly, but life-changing. Like, we get people out of pain and, you know, people that, you know, maybe, you know, are can't train or they're debilitated in life because of back pain, sure. this, whatever. And with the proper tools and approach, like eliminate that and get them back into uh, this physical culture. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't care what it is. Sure. <laughs> Could be, I, I do powerlifting, but we, we work with nearly every sport in the world in some capacity. Right. And um, so, so we've got an education base. Um, and so we do coaching, uh, we do seminars, uh, you know, every month, uh, around the U S we'll be going around the world this next year. Uh, we do private seminars for professional sports teams, like in the, uh, the major league baseball and yeah. colleges. And, and, uh, we do some like chiropractic and physical therapy schools as well. So we'll, we'll lecture at the PhD level. Um, and then we've got equipment. And so our equipment is very unique. So because we approach it from the aspect of the biomechanics and how the body should operate, everything that we bring to market is vastly different than, than anybody's seen before. Mm-hmm. It's all about improving joint positions, improving engagement patterns in the body. So instead of using the classical barbell, the straight bar for every movement, there's a lot of compromises that we're putting negative stress. So not stress that we're going to adapt to, but stress that is, you know, putting us in bad positions, causing us to, you know, not work the way that we should. And it's not at, it's just stress that's going to hurt you. Um, and that's why we're so prevalent in, in a lot of different athletic environments. So a lot of what we do right now is specialty barbells and we'll continue to expand our line, but it's, it's, it's all about those biomechanic pieces, reducing that and allowing us to just get in and train and get more, get more athletic development out of it at the same time. So, so it's, uh, we've got products that are completely new in the world. So like one of them, uh, the transformer bar, I'll just use an example. It's the only bar in the world where we can actually change where the load position sits in relation to the hip. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, if you imagine a, a bar sitting on your back, it has the weight has one fixed location in reference to the hip. Ours, we can move the weight from center and change the angle of where it sits as well. Um, and what it sounds like, why would you want to do that? Well, the load always sits above your midfoot. Okay. So we actually haven't changed where the load is. What we've done is actually allowed if the load, if I've moved it out in front of you, uh, I've allowed more spinal uprighting mm. behind the load. Sure. Okay. Now, which is also going to change engagement patterns, uh, around, uh, how we activate the core. So how the, how the, the, the obliques, the TVA, yep. everything comes into place. Uh, the rib cage position. So this is really, really important. So it changes rib cage position uh, so that we can act, really use the diaphragm in opposition to the pelvic floor, which is really the fundamental of how we actually stabilize the spine. It's not the erectors in the back. Sure. They're, they're, they play a small role. Um, Thoracolumbar musculature, all this stuff comes on. Okay. And now because we've changed the spinal position, the spine, spinal mechanics actually have the largest global impact throughout the whole body. So all of a sudden this person that had hip problems or the knees caving in with squatting, all of a sudden everything just disappears. Okay. It's crazy to watch, um, the changes that happen, Mm -hmm. but a lot of people, they've been trained. They kind of know this, anybody in the athletic world, but they don't know it. So if you've got somebody that's struggling with squat mechanics, a lot of times you'll have, you'll grab one of these kettlebells that's sitting on your floor and we'll do a goblet squat. All of a sudden, spinal flexion will go away, ribcage position, uh, engagement comes on, hips, knees, everything comes in a little bit better. Yeah. That's what you've done. Mm-hmm. But you can only load so much because your front delts are going to give out. Sure. So we've basically allowed the ability to do that and change it in a lot of different varieties so we can accommodate. Uh, people love laughing at like the, uh, they'll post up a picture. Look at this famous NBA player. Their squats look like crap. I'm like, well, of course they do. They're not built like any of you is seven foot six with look at the femur links. Like that person can't squat to depth. Yep. Right. Um, and shut up. They make millions of dollars. You're, <laughs> you're, you're sitting at home right, <laughs> watching it on Instagram. But, um, you know, they're, they're set up for failure. So they either have to not do the movement correctly and partially do it, or they have to compromise position, which is going to in, uh, increase injury risks substantially. Yep. So, I can use this bar and change everything instantly. Right. They can be squatting six inches deeper, leg, hip position, spine position. Everything is just nailed. Um, Major League Baseball, they love it like with the Dominican Republic players coming in. They have no, that's very skilled baseball players. They need to get more resilient. They need to get stronger and they'll be phenomenal baseball players, but they have literally no experience in the gym. So you know, you got a room of these guys that are all professional athletes that are aged with zero training age and you've got significant coaching or yeah. use this bar and all of a sudden everything comes in. Right. Um, so really incredible tool, return to play situations, all sorts of things. So that's like one of the things that we do. So it's playing around with like physics mm-hmm. and some really basic stuff that people just don't think through in that world because they're in the strength equipment world. They're just looking, ah, oh, somebody makes that. We can make that too. Sure. And so it's the same thing over and over and over again. And that goes back to your figuring out alternative solutions yes. to get the result so, done. So, but then, and then we've got to tell people about it because we produce it and nobody understands it. Of course. Or you so get that's the why it's really imp- This is how we've always done so it. What do you is, mean? So what this is you? why I have the whole education side of the business of as well again because our products take extensive education because nobody's seen it before. They don't yeah. understand why do I need this? Sure, of course. So... Um, you know, another concept I like, I I call it playground physics. 
Um, but uh, there's a lot of bars. Uh, bench press, deadlift, or the common where they have a neutral grip. So instead of grabbing a bar with the, the bar between the weights, right, there's a handle that's not, that's turned off of 90, you know, uh, sitting in there. And if you think about it, it's just like a teeter-totter, okay? So you have center of rotation, center of the bar, um, is that's where everything's going to ro- rotate about. And that's also your center of mass, mm-hmm. Okay. That is just like a teeter-totter. So the handle is the teeter-totter. Center rotation, center mass, or what it's rotating about, right? So walking into any playground, teeter-totter is always sitting on one side or another because the balance point can never be found. Technically, it is an infinitely perfect point. That means you can never find it. So we've got induced instability in the wrist of every single one of these, which is going to go downstream and play havoc on all those joints related to it. Okay? So our bars... I've changed the, 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 the grip so that the weight falls below it. The simple playground physics. What is when the center mm-hmm. of rotate, the center of mass is below center of rotation is just like a swing, right? Rotation is the point that the chain's hanging from mass is where this person sits. Yeah. Where does it always return to center? Perfect center. Right. It always finds center. Of course. And now because I've actually changed that, I can actually enhance. And there's a bunch of other stuff we yep. can do with, uh, you know, putting the joint just where it needs to be, getting the right engagement, so on. All again, just around positioning of the handles. And then now I can take somebody. I love I love using these bars. So like Major League Baseball is my favorite because uh, every single head strength coach has a bad shoulder. <laughs> so uh, so I'll go in. I'm like, who's got a bad shoulder? Uh, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I knew that. <laughs> Here, try this bar. I haven't benched for five years. That's always like the answer. You know, I've got yeah. blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, here, just try this. Understand the bar is actually three inches greater range of motion than a standard bench. Right. Too. So they can't even touch a chest yeah, with yeah. a, you know, with a regular bar. Try it. Hmm, no pain. Put a plate on there. That feels good. Put another plate on there. Next thing you know, they're repping two plates. Their staff sitting there with their jaws hanging down because they know the coach can't even bench. And he's sitting there doing two reps to three inches greater range of motion. And from an athletic standpoint, by the way, if you're starting to develop power in front of the chest, you're already too late to the game. Right. Even in MMA. Yeah. Like where you, you got to be starting back here behind yeah. the shoulder. Think about any throwing sport. Sure. Like <laughs> uh, even, even people that are going for a tackle and in, yeah. in, in, in football, you got to be starting back yeah. behind the shoulder. So now we're actually getting an athletic position, but we're controlling that shoulder position so that, now, all those negative, that, that's what was causing the pain was that little bit of decentration, the lack of engagement to control and stabilize the shoulder. We can manage all that. That's it's awesome, crazy man. to watch happen. I bet. But that's like, so imagine doing that. And that's where we're talking about the purpose of the mm-hmm. organization, like what we do. Like, this really changes the game and really affects people in a positive way. That's so awesome. that's, that's Kabuki strength. Um, we got a gym associated with it. Um, I, uh, supplementation, I'm getting into that as well, because again, that's kind of a messy entry the market with, uh, testing full disclosure, sure, labels, research-based dosages, you know, all this sort of stuff. So, so really happy, uh, with that. So I've co-founded a company there as well. Uh, we've got uh, three products on the market right now that are substantially enhanced performance and recovery, uh, basically through improvement of, uh, blood flow. Right. Um, and then, uh, I'm, I'm a big proponent. So we talked about the spine being the largest global impact on the body. The second largest global impact, and you're probably quite aware of this uh, in the MMA field, uh, is through the feet. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
a lot of MMA is only the you know one of the few areas where actually people use the foot correctly or have the right like jujitsu have sure you know you're, you're basically barefoot um so shoes are not designed correctly right and they cause substantial issues and it's really huge it's a lot more than a sore foot um so um just just for example so number one healthcare costs in america it's back pain mm-hmm. it's not cancer right it's not diabetes it's not yeah. heart disease it's back pain mm-hmm. okay that's a big driver of that knee hip problems so on so um uh so i've co-founded a company that's focused on the optimization of the human to ground interface uh we launched our first shoe in january actually pre-sales go on order this week um and then we've got also like some uh, compression socks with grips on them um if you want the most true barefoot but you're in a I just train bare, like right. I just, yeah, I yeah. just go of straight course. to barefoot, but not everybody owns their own training sure. facility yeah. that can, you're allowed to do that. Of and course. guess what? You need to go to the bathroom yeah, and yeah, walk yeah. in of public. Course. Like shoes are around for a reason. So you don't <laughs> right. like, so you don't damage your foot, uh, you know, and have disease, you know, yeah. uh, proliferation and things like that. So, but beyond that, like that gets into a whole nother, like, so I've got a bunch of educational videos that I filmed with a, uh, doctor of podiatry as well, kind of covering some of these concepts and those are starting to release as well. So that's awesome, man. So that's... anyway, that's, uh, that's what I'm doing. And then the Eagle and the dragon has just been a pet project of mine because all this stuff is the physical nature of it. And I wanted to have something out there that attacks those mental, emotional, yeah. or maybe spiritual, uh, sure. aspects, uh, you know, of it, of, of strength and resilience and challenging people to, not be looking for, you know, complacency to be mm-hmm. a consumer, to find comfort, yep. but to actually, if you get in that environment to seek challenge, right? Because you're no longer, you're going to get soft. You're going to get soft mentally. You're going to get soft physically to actually chase things that scare you to some level. Sure. And if you don't have that in front of you, you're missing something in life. <laughs> and, but that isn't, this message isn't necessarily for everybody. Sure. So, and I, and I understand that, um, but you know, it is for a lot of people and, uh, and, and I'm trying to provide some practical tools right? and ways that people can really reflect on their life, uh, to, uh, to get there. So, so that's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm about awesome, strength man. in all aspects. Awesome. So, so for people who want to check it out again, the title is the Eagle and the Dragon subtitle, a story of strength and reinvention. So that would be the philosophical side of things. Yes. That's where you hit it. And then it's on, yeah, it's on and Amazon then... and Audible and Barnes and Sweet. Noble and paperback, hardcover, audio, all that stuff. So awesome. Anything else you want to throw out there before we wrap? Um, I think we've hit a lot of ground. So uh, cool. we could probably go on and on about other sure. things. But uh, <laughs> I think uh, we hit the subjects that we hit really well. Um, you know, just say that if people want to check that out or find more about uh, actually... Uh, my main website, ChristopherDuffin.com, mm-hmm. has links to to all of this, okay. I, and actually a free uh, uh, a link to be able to download the audio uh, book for free as well That's on sweet. there. So it's a really cool program. Super sweet. Um, and uh, so yeah, ChristopherDuffin.com, KabukiStrength.com is like the main one. Uh, you can find me on Instagram or LinkedIn, or the really only pl- two places I interact. I can't stand Facebook. Right. Um, so. LinkedIn sounds funny, but it's worked really well for me. And uh, so those two points, if you just type in Chris Duff and you'll find me, but uh, cool. Yeah. Awesome, man. 
Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Funky music means one thing. That's the end of another fine episode of the Drunken Towers podcast. What a great interview. Yeah, I had fun. Uh, crazy life. Crazy. Very, very crazy Barely life. describes it. Yes. It's takes it to a whole new level, but yeah, intense to say the least. Um, shall we say thank you to the sweet folks who donated? Absolutely. Let's thank you. Thank you. That. Let the pottering begin. Thank you to Matt Chebre, Jesse Rantakangas, Yanni uh, Linnima, Christopher Parcel, Jonathan Waterloo, Stephen McKee, Luis Pesquera, Thomas Robinson, Ross Craneham, Robert Primos, Lisa Robles, Pat Hartman, Andre Garapetian, Aistis Juska, Nicola Togni. You guys are superstars. You're awesome. Thank you so much for supporting us. Thank you so much, Matt. We really appreciate it. Um, we want bore you with the same stuff you heard it in the intro blue chew shout out on shout out grassland beef all that good stuff we had an even super secret right in the middle promo so that was Pretty right there if you use amazon please use our link uh, if you shop on amazon if you use our link it helps us out a whole bunch and don't forget go to kiva.org you can get kiva cards to give to your bratty nephews nieces and maybe even your kids to uh Show them the amazing gift-giving capacities to help loan people money they need for stuff they need in situations where, uh, you know, the local loan shark is going to just peg them against the wall the way the credit card companies do us here in the U.S. So check it out. Your fellow listeners have donated over $140,000, not donated, have loaned $140,000 since we got started this a few years back, which just blows me away. Come on, join us. Join Team Drunken Taoist and uh, let's make it to a quarter million. Having said all that, how about we wrap for today and wish you a very good end of this year. Bye, everybody. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Dows Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as they come out. You can keep track of Daniele at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N and the numeral one. We'll see you all soon. Woo! In questo cazzo, in questo caso le provvidenza di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, eh? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs>
This was great. Fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. I have nothing against chicken other than the fact that they are ugly and weird and strange. We've been yeah, having a great hour nice. here. Dun, dun, dun. I completely got lost. Are we doing the outro or the intro? We're right? outro. Oh, we're outro. Okay, sorry. So that's... <laughs> So let's continue. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and... Uh, uh, your accent, it just... Whatever that movie is you were trying to tell me about... Can you translate for me, please? I believe the word was Tombstone. Yeah, that one, exactly. <laughs> just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> now, most everybody thought... <coughs> Sorry. Well... <coughs> We'll do a cut on there. Or not. That was something else. <laughs> That's maybe too powerful. <laughs> what do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work. Funky. Podcasting. It's like radio, but you can cuss. Why?